Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Woven, Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. All right. Welcome to Woven, Anna. We're so glad to have you here. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with our listeners. We are... Um, Really excited to hear. And what we normally do before we start the interview is ask the person to introduce themselves. But I feel like you just need to both introduce yourself and tell your story. I'm not sure how you would like separate those two. <laughs> yeah, I think they're one and the same. Okay, so, go so for it. We're just going to let you talk. Go All for right. It. Well, thank you for having me. <clears throat> I love the, um, the way that God gets to redeem my story and allow me to help others in the process of retelling my story. So for those listeners of yours that don't know, I'm Anna LeBaron. I was born and raised in a violent polygamist cult. I escaped when I was 13 years old and um, didn't know at the time that there were people that I loved and cared about that were dead, that had tried to escape or that were rivals of my father's and he would order hits on the people who dared to leave. And so it was after I escaped and, um, you know, learned some things, read a book that had been written about my father, that I came to understand the gravity of my upbringing and the real miracle of my escape and that I was alive to tell my story. Mm. And, And so it's been, you know, decades now I'm almost 50 years old. Mm -hmm. And so for about four decades now, I've uh, known that I needed to tell my story. And, and, and just recently, well, the last two years, um, my book was published. It's called The Polygamous Daughter. And, um, and I've been able to use my story to help others. You don't have to have been born in a polygamous cult to experience childhood trauma, abuse, and neglect. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And those those were all things that I had to go through the healing process for. And it took a long time, but I'm here on the other side now. And being able to use those things and the healing journey that God took me on um, has been just my life was not a fairy tale. My book was not a, you know, fiction. It was a real, you know, it's a memoir. And so I like to say that even though my life wasn't a fairy tale, getting to do this and and talk about and use my story to help others is part of my happily ever after. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, um we've been talking about how grief is personal and universal. So, We'll get to the universal part, but I want to dive into more personally your story, like, because that was a lot of information and it is, um, it is interesting. And a lot of people maybe are not super familiar with polygamy in general or, you know, how these things work and the specific. So could you tell us a little bit about like the family you grew up in was, was it like a, I'm using air quote Christian, was Uh it an air quote Christian household? Like, tell us a little bit about all of that. Well, I, it, hmm, where do I start? The, the fundamentalist Mormon community that I grew up in um, wasn't, they didn't identify as Christian. Okay. Um, so the, uh, the prophet that 
founded the Mormon Church. His name is Joseph Smith. And my family of origin goes all the way back to a man named Benjamin F. Johnson, who was the spiritually adopted son of Joseph Smith. Okay. And so I'm a first-generation non-polygamist. First generation, non-Mormon, fundamentalist Mormon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't a Christian home um, the way we would generally characterize the word Christian home. Mm -hmm. Um, My father um, was not present in my life. I met him when I was nine years old for the first time and spent, you know, two times that I'm aware of where I interacted with him. How many children did he have? He had 13 wives and fathered more than 50 children. Okay. Okay. And so I grew up essentially fatherless, Mm -hmm. even though I knew I had a father, um, Mm -hmm. I didn't know him. Yeah. And so that creates all kinds of uh, wounding to the soul and the spirit when you don't have a father in your life or a male father figure that, um, gives you identity, Mm -hmm. gives you purpose, gives you meaning. Those are all things that we get from a father figure. Mm -hmm. There's other things that we get from mother figures, and I didn't get a lot of that either, Mm -hmm. just because of the way our family was um, situated. Um, My mom was not just responsible for the well-being of her 12 children. Um, She was also raising uh, four children that um, were one of my dad's wives that carried out one of the hits that he ordered and ended up in prison. Oh, and wow. so she was, she was raising those four children and the, and two of the youngest children of one of his wives that died of cancer. And so my mom, like there was no way she could provide for the emotional and, you know, whatever needs, not, I mean, just material needs as well. Yeah. Um, that we were just so, there was so much neglect emotional, spiritual, mental, physical, um, that we didn't grow up with. And so, you know, when you grow up not having any of your basic needs met, Mm -hmm. um, that allow you to grow into the person that God imagined when he knit you together in your mother's womb, um, it takes a lot of healing to to finally grow into and become the person that God imagined you to be. Yeah. And that's who I am today. That's who I am. Like when you meet me on social media or whatever, um, and you see this happy, joyful um, person, it's because of the healing work that I've done. A lot of people read the book and go, is she really the same person? Yeah. Yeah. How in the world can she go through all of that and then show up like this today. Yeah. And it's because the healing has been real. Yeah. So how old were you when you left the cult? I was 13 years old. Okay. I ran away from home. Okay. I wasn't running away from the cult because at that time I wasn't even aware that I was in a cult. Yeah. 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 Um, I left and moved in with a half-sister of mine who had been um, inching her way out of the cult. Okay. With, along with her husband and their five kids, but she hadn't left yet because leaving put a mark on your back. Yeah. yeah. Like you became a target. And so like they had left yet. Is and that what you're saying? 
Excuse me? Like you could be killed if you left? Is that? Oh, yes. So many people that left were killed. Wow. Okay, because I think, see, I this is interesting because I think, I mean, we've, some of us have had like exposure to polygamy and we've seen like the shows on TLC and it's like, well, that's a little weird, but it seems like kind of peaceful or, you know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't come off that way, but this is really interesting because I've just never, I mean, this is, that was terrifying. Yeah. I can't imagine. So I mean, the show on the TLC channel that you're talking about is yeah. probably called Sister Wives. Yeah. The girl on there that's blonde and the one that looks like me, uh-huh. she's my cousin. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. So okay. Um, she doesn't know who I am. We were raised in separate polygamist communities mm-hmm. or cults, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've never met in person. I follow her on Twitter, and that's the extent of our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So, I mean, I can't – the courage it must have taken you to – to run away at such a young age. I mean, did you feel, cause I know, cause I, I've also experienced some childhood trauma, which I haven't talked about too much on the podcast, but I remember just, I didn't really know God, but I remember feeling, looking back and being like, some of the things I was able to do and push forward and courage were God. Like they had to be God. Cause I didn't have that inside of me as a young kid. I mean, did, did you kind of have that experience? Like you felt just that push to go forward and be bold or was it fear? I mean, was it just like, Nothing can be as bad as what I'm experiencing right now. Well, I talk about in the book the thing that motivated me mm-hmm. to run away from home. And um, and it wasn't that I was needing to get away from the cult or, you know, there were things that had happened prior to me running away that um, – that I would, so I wasn't running, I wasn't running away from something. I was running to something better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and the, the life that we had been experiencing at that time where we lived in Houston was what I wanted to continue. Mm-hmm. And because my mom was planning to move back to Denver where some horrific things were happening to us, um, I didn't want to move to Denver. And so I, ran away from home so I could go live with my sister that was staying in Houston. Mm-hmm. And that's the motivator that got me to want to stay. And so I, you know, I go into detail about that and mm-hmm. what motivated that. But it, it was um, like, I didn't even realize I was in a cult. So yeah. that, that knowledge came later. Uh-huh. So when the, um, when the publisher put a sensor bar across my eyes, it was because there were things I wasn't allowed to see. Yeah. And when they put a sensor bar across my mouth, it was because there was things that I wasn't allowed to say. Yeah. yeah. And that is so common for anyone who's been through, especially as a child, who's been through that mm-hmm. trauma of, you know, right. I mean, yeah, that's a very common tale. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that universal stance you're taking on everything because I think we've said this before on the podcast, but I think when it comes to grief and trauma, we all have a tendency to be like, well, I thought what I went through was bad, but mm-hmm. she was in a violent polygamous cult. So okay. I just need to like shush Mm-mm. and Mm-mm. not true. Tell us why that's not, not true. true. Well, um, like I said, childhood trauma, abuse and neglect can happen in any home, even a two parent home, a single parent home or a polygamist home like the one I was raised in. Mm-hmm. And and trauma, abuse and neglect affect us all mm-hmm. at a deep level that you can't quantify Mm -hmm. and compare yours to others. Mm 
because the ways that it affected you and the ways that it's still probably affecting you, mm-hmm. um, um, they, those ways that it affects you um, permeate your whole life. Yeah. yeah. There, there's not a way that you can box it up and put it aside and compartmentalize enough. I mean, we do, and I did. I compartmentalized all of that trauma for such a long time, but I didn't know that it was leaking out and Mm -hmm. affecting every other area of my life. And until I went and uh, received professional counseling Mm -hmm. and, and pressed in and pursued wholeness, healing and aliveness for myself. Mm, Like took responsibility for your own. Yeah. Mm Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I pursued wholeness, healing, and aliveness mm-hmm. because aliveness is something that can be measured. Mm-hmm. You can be in a depression, which I have experienced, and I talk about it in the book. Um, you can experience depression and not feel alive on the inside, yeah. but yet your heart's still beating and your mind is still you're you know going and yeah. you're showing up for your day, however that may look like. Um, but when you experience relief from depression and you can breathe again mm-hmm. and, and you have excitement about things and, and you feel energized about things that, you know, matter to you again, um, that's, that aliveness can be measured yeah. from where you were to where you are now. And I think, you know, when God says, <clears throat> I came to give you not just life, but abundant life yeah um that's where i was lacking yeah for so many years even in my christian walk i was not experiencing anything that could be called abundance or an abundant life and it took me taking ownership and responsibility for my own well-being and wellness that me pursuing freedom me pursuing wholeness me pursuing the things that God orchestrated for my benefit because he does orchestrate events, circumstances, and people Mm -hmm. in our favor. And so I walked through doors that were opening for me. um, And I'll say just, you know, from the beginning, I was going through my life, going through the motions of the Christian life, married with children showing up at church, but I was just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, some, some events happened that um, triggered a nightmare for me mm-hmm. that had to do with my past. Mm-hmm. And so um, I didn't understand what triggers were. I didn't understand any of that. Um, and the next day after that nightmare, I was having a play date with a friend and her kids. And like, I didn't, very much, I didn't talk about my family of origin very much with people that I met just because yeah. it's so weird <laughs> and you don't want people to judge you and yeah, think that yeah. you're a weirdo when basically you are. <laughs> um, and so I didn't talk about my family of origin very much yeah. with my friends and people that I meet. But in this case, I just took a flying leap of faith mm-hmm. and and told her about this nightmare. And and she says to me, um, do they have a lay ministry counseling at your church? And I said, mm, I don't think so. And she goes, well, they have it at my church. 
Mm-hmm. And if I make you an appointment, will you go? Mm-hmm. And I was shocked because I wasn't aware that I needed any kind of help mm-hmm. yeah, at all. And I said, yes, I would go. And then she says, do you need me to babysit your children while you're there? Or mm-hmm. do you need me to drive you to the appointment? And she was very um, intentional. Yeah. Oh, what a gift. About her friend that needed help and she was going to do all of her part. I had to say yes. I had to be willing, um, but she did all of her part as far as that um, interaction went. That's beautiful. I ended up at that appointment and I sat across from a lady. I don't know her name. I don't know what church it was. Um, It was very traumatic for me Mm -hmm. to retell the story. But I sat in her office for an hour. I told her about the nightmare and and as much of my family of origin story as I could put in an hour. And at the end of that time together, she slides a business card across the table to me and says, the kind of help that, that you need is more than I can offer you here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she referred me to a Christian counseling, you know, professional Christian counselor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I made an appointment and started showing up and it took me about five years with a professional counselor to do what she called peeling back the layers of an onion Yeah, Mm -hmm. to get me to the place where I felt like I was at least Mm -hmm. at a place where I could function in my life. Yeah. Um, Because re-experiencing the trauma and talking about it um, requires professional help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you know, if anything that you've experienced can be labeled trauma or traumatic mm-hmm. or abusive, mm-hmm. and not just abuse the kind that leaves marks and scars on the body, but abuse that is called the hidden abuses. Yeah. Um, psychological abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, mental, spiritual, um, all of those kinds of abuses. Um, anything traumatic or abusive in nature. Um, Definitely consider talking to a professional counselor. Well, and that um, leads me to a question. So I know a lot of times when you are in an abusive situation and you are a victim, you continue living as a victim because Uh it is what you know. And for for me and for a lot of people, I think the hardest thing has been taking responsibility and not just sort of blaming what happened to you. Because, I mean, I'm blaming God and really owning your life when for so long you kind of didn't and then stepping into that. Can you talk a little about that process? Because number one, I think people get really stuck there. And number two, I mean, were you mad at God? Like, were you like, what? Cause you've, you've spoken so beautifully about how he provided, you know, things for you, but were you ever like, why did you put me in this family? Like, why did I have to go through that? Did you ever feel those things? I did have that that question in my mind about why would I be born into this family of origin? Mm-hmm. Like what in the world? Um, the um, I love reading and books have really shaped my life and mentored me. And one book that a lot of people thought, oh, it's just too simplistic. It's too whatever um, that people judged a little bit, um, especially Christians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one book that really helped me <laughs> was um Rick Warren's book. Remember that really the popular one? Life? The Purpose Driven Life. Yeah. Um, 
he answered that question in like the first two or three chapters of that book for me. Mm-hmm. I don't remember very much about that, that book, um, mm-hmm. except that that question of my heart was answered mm-hmm. in that book. Um, he talked about how our family of origin was not a surprise to God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's so many parts of my family of origin that were just so detrimental to my um, growth and just me being, having expression, um, <clears throat> growing up and becoming an adult, so detrimental to every part of my childhood mm-hmm. that it just, you know, you wonder how could God allow that to happen? Mm-hmm. How and why? And, and for me, it had to become less of a question about how and why but what am I going to do with this? Mm, yeah. And, and what am I going to, how am I going to move forward from mm-hmm. this? And so that answering that question of, um, did God know what was actually happening here when yeah. I was, you know, when he put me in this family of origin, um, that question was answered that God was not surprised. Yeah. And, and God gives us free will and free agency. And people use that free will to do all manner of evil yeah. in this world. And so the fact that I was born into this family didn't come as a surprise to him. And uh, he knew from the beginning where I was, he never left, never took his eyes off me. Mm-hmm. And as things began to happen and events um, began to unfold, um, in the moment, I didn't understand that that it was him, that he was right. orchestrating these things. But looking back, his fingerprints, his handprints, and the evidence of him doing the moving mm-hmm. and orchestrating things just becomes more and more visible to me. Yeah. And so, yeah, for a long time, I questioned. I was, I did have a lot of anger, Um about my family of origin situations and the mm-hmm. things that I experienced towards my dad, towards my mom, that I had to psychologically work through. Yeah. And in order to get to the place where I'm at now. So when you talk, you weren't raised with Jesus. How, no. did, how did that happen? I mean, how did you, I mean, can we talk a little about your faith journey? That was going to be my question. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were raised in a fundamentalist Mormon cult that when they would talk about Christianity or Jesus, those words were spoken with derision. Yeah. And, you know, Joseph Smith, who's the founder of the Mormon church, um, said that there was no religion on the face of the planet that, you know, God approved of. And so, therefore, all of them were false. And therefore, he, he had to start a new one. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. to restore the gospel, and so, um, and so the the idea that Mormonism is Christian or a Christian religion um, is based on Joseph Smith's teachings. Mm-hmm. False. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If people go back and read the original documents, the historical documents that are there, um, there's no way that you can characterize Mormonism as Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so we weren't raised learning about Jesus um, or talking about him, except in um, horrible ways. I mean, 
they would say, you know, those Christians, you know, mm-hmm. they believe that you can get saved and, you know, live like the devil and die and go to heaven, you know. So they just had all kinds of uh, ways of talking about it that made it like, oh, whoa, those are weird people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> we were the weird ones, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> But what happened was, you know, when you're raised without any of your needs being met, like all of them, none, none met, and then you run away from home and um, I'm going to kind of spoil the book a little bit for your listeners. No, I'm for sure. I think we're also going to read it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My sister and her husband decided to enroll me in a Christian school that was close to their house. Mm -hmm. You were 13, right? 13. What? You said you were 13. 13. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So they enrolled me in this Christian school and they considered it the lesser of two evils when compared to mm-hmm. the public school in their area, mm-hmm. because they would rather me learn about, quote, Jesus than um, sex, drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> were they still Mormon? Yes, they just were. They were okay. still fundamentalist Mormon at okay, that time. Okay. And like I said, they were inching their way out of the cult, mm-hmm. but still hadn't made the leap yet. Okay. And they put me in this little school and, you know, Growing up, we weren't allowed to make friends with outsiders. So I get enrolled in this little school and there's probably 60 or 70 kids, K through 12. So a very small mm-hmm. school. Yeah. And the teachers there were probably told a little bit about my history. Um, the students weren't told very much, but I became the new girl and I was very warmly received and accepted by the students there that were all the other teenagers Mm -hmm. and they became the first friends I ever made outside the cult. Yeah. So these teachers that have a little bit of understanding of where I came from, you know, they were kind and uh, gentle with me and tender and, you know, very mother hen, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of taking the little chick under their wings. And that was just something I'd never experienced before. Like never. Yeah. Yeah. And that environment was so uh, filled with such loving kindness mm-hmm. that, you know, I went off to a youth camp and, um, <laughs> you know how, if you've been to youth camp at any Christian yeah. type youth camp, I'll, you play all day and then at night you have to dress up a little bit and go to a service, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you <laughs> listen to somebody preach and, you know, kids get saved and rededicate their lives. And that's just how youth camp is. The whole purpose of youth camp is to kind of help take kids deeper in their walk of faith, you know? So at this youth camp, I listened to the service and, you know, this was all new for me, all of it. Every single bit of all of Christianity was new to me. Yeah. So I listened to the youth pastor preach his sermon. And then he said, you know, if you want to accept Christ as your savior, you know, stay in your seat and I'm going to dismiss everyone else. Well, all my new friends all walked out the door mm-hmm. and there I sat and um, he came over and, you know, took my hands and sat across from me and, you know, said, are you comfortable praying out loud? And I was like, no, <laughs> none of it was comfortable for me. <laughs> and he said, well, you just repeat after me, you pray in your heart and, and you repeat after me. And he led me in, you know, a prayer of repentance and, you know, salvation And I accepted Christ and I knew nothing, Mm -hmm. nothing, but, um, but I knew that that was the moment 
that thing wow. shifted and changed and began to change for me. Um, it took decades before I was able to experience the fullness of the expression of the Holy Spirit living inside of me mm-hmm. and the fullness of the experience of being fathered mm-hmm. yeah. by a heavenly father. Because when you grow up without those kinds of things, um, it's hard to uh, translate those things to a spiritual expression. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but that was the beginning. I had to start somewhere. Well, yeah. and it's so beautiful to me that you, st- I mean, because the things you described are, they're very ordinary things. Like your teachers took you under their wing. The kids were nice to you. You mm-hmm. went to a camp and someone cared. Like, And I think a lot of times we think that for God, we have to do like crazy big things and kapow. And it's like, no, like literally just be nice to people and like yeah. show them the love of Jesus. And it's gonna, God will use it at the right time. And it sounds like he took several like, ordinary, beautifully ordinary experiences and gave you enough courage to accept him and then move yourself so forward. Just so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I I think that's a beautiful part of the story too, because I think there could have, you could have showed up at that small Christian school and been ostracized. Yeah. Right. Um, Because that happens. And so, Uh you know, not just because it's got Christian in front of it doesn't mean that the school is good. And so it it is such a evidence of God's like hand Mm -hmm. that he placed you in that environment. Yeah. Um, There's um, there's a saying that I love. Um, I read it in a book by A.W. Tozer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where he talks and says any right response that we have towards God, that God is previous to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I talk about all these right responses I've had towards God, it's not because I'm so great and grand. It's because God was previous to all of that Mm -hmm. orchestrating these events, circumstances, and people in my favor. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's so beautiful. Mm. Wow. And that's the thing that your listeners need to know. Yeah. Is that the, it's not just because I was born in a cult that God did these things for me. He yes. does these things for all of his children. Yeah. yeah. That's he, a good word. Yes. He does this. Whatever you're going through right now, he's already been orchestrating events, circumstances, and people in your favor. Mm-hmm. And, and it's up to us to acknowledge that and to live in, with an expectation. Mm-hmm. that he's acting on our behalf and, and to seek out and to be mindful and aware for the opportunities for growth, for healing, for forward motion, mm-hmm. no matter what that looks like yeah. for you. Yeah. That's so beautiful. We had Susie Larson on in the fall um, and she talked about that expectation. That was one of her biggest messages because she was talking about healing um, mind, body, and spirit and how healing is very integrated. And she was saying that expectation, like not to lose your expectation of what God will do and like how central mm-hmm. that is. Uh-huh. And as humans, we just need that hope to be able to move yeah. forward. Like we need that uh-huh. deeply. So I love that you just echoed that as well. The other half of that equation is that in every um in every single thing that we do, God has a part and we have a part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and the way I differentiate between those two things is God's part is always the impossible things. <laughs> yeah. 
And our part is always doable. Mm-hmm. It's always the possible. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is that in your life that you're going, oh my gosh, this is just impossible. <laughs> this, whatever, this situation. Yeah. Okay, you hand that right back over to him and say, okay, that's all on you. Mm-hmm. You get to, I have this deal with God that we've arranged. This is an arrangement and you're welcome to have this arrangement with him as well. Okay, all that impossible stuff that I have no idea how it's going to happen or work out, all that's on you. Um, what's the next right thing that I can do? Mm-hmm. that's my part that's doable and then you can ask the Holy Spirit and say okay with this situation that seems so hard mm-hmm. right now what's the next right step for me yeah. what's the doable next right step and sometimes it's as simple as I need to look up my uh, health insurance information and see online if there's a counselor near me yeah yeah um, that's a that's a next right step that you can take. And I think that that's God's so, not going to go and look yeah. and search it for you and dial the number on your phone for you. <laughs> yes. You have a part in your own healing journey, but not the parts that are impossible. Like the actual healing part, the, the fact that healing takes place is a miracle. Mm-hmm. And if we talk about like the healing of the body, like I cut my finger over Thanksgiving right here when I was you know, making Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> and, um, and it's all healed up. Mm-hmm. I'm showing you my finger. Your readers can't, your listeners can't see it, <laughs> um, but it is it's all healed up. <laughs> and I didn't yeah. do anything to this. I didn't even put antibiotic on it, which mm-hmm. was kind of dumb. I could have, and that would have accelerated the healing process. Um, but healing is a miracle. The mm-hmm. fact that we can cut our body and it will heal eventually, it'll leave a scar, but the healing happens. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a miracle that our bodies heal themselves. And so emotionally, the healing that happens is a miracle. Yeah. And that's God's part. And he does it. He does that. But we also have a part. And for me, it involved a lot of um, telling my story first to a friend mm-hmm. over a play date. Like, oh, my gosh, these things happened to me. And then then to a professional counselor. And then, you know, I talk about my siblings, um, we're, we're all out of the cult now, just FYI. Really? In case all you're, of them are? Everybody's out. No, there's nobody in my family that believes my father was any kind of prophet. Okay. Oh which my is a, Which is a miracle by itself. Yeah. Wow. And so my siblings and I just talking and sharing and mm. I call it rehashing and rehashing our yeah. stories. Yeah. Was a part of the healing for me. Yeah. Um, so talking to my friends, talking to my siblings, talking to a professional counselor, um, showing up for things like Celebrate Recovery, yeah. um, going to women's retreats. And you know how at every women's retreat, there's a time where you can just dive in a little deeper and, and show your heart and be vulnerable. And, yeah. you know, they make opportunities for those things. And, you know, each time I would show up and and talk. I went on the walk to Emmaus after years oh, and years of yeah. going through all this stuff. And I remember sitting around the table and all these women are sharing their hearts. And I th- thought to myself for the first time, 
I am not the neediest person here (laughs) for the first time ever. Because, you know, you go to your small group and everyone's talking and you're sharing your crap. Yeah. Uh yeah. And you just feel needy. And, Uh oh, I'm just I'm just taking up all the oxygen in the room with this horrible story I'm telling. Yeah. And I remember sitting at the walk to Emmaus, sitting around the table, listening to other women and not feeling the anguish of soul that I had experienced in the past about my family of origin story. And that was because the healing process was ongoing. And and I was like, oh, I don't feel like I need to just go and all over these women about my story. I can listen to others. I can just, you know, kind of dial in and, and listen to them tell their stories. And that was a moment for me to recognize and understand that I wasn't going to be traumatized and, and raw, aching, bleeding story on others forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the way I'm telling you the story today. Yeah. I'm not doing it out of a need that I have mm-hmm. it from a place of wholeness and healing. Yeah. And that's, that's a different way to tell your story. And so if you're still in that place of pain and the rawness of what you have been through is still um, evident, that, that's a really good sign that a professional counselor or just a friend over a cup of coffee mm-hmm. that will listen to you. Um, Brene Brown says, um, tell your story to people who have earned the right to hear your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if, it, if your story is still raw and aching and broke and you still feel broken within you, that's not something that you just go and share with the whole world. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that's an a indicator that um, some time for you to take care of the, your soul, mm-hmm. to do self-care um, and see a counselor or, or talk to the lay ministry counselor at your church. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just so vital to the healing process that to externalize the things that have happened to us. Yeah. When we take from it, what happened from the inside of us where it's just mulling around and suppressed mm-hmm. and we allow that thing to surface mm. and, and either in our journals, we can externalize by writing and we can externalize by speaking. Yeah. But just who you show to those yourself. journals to, who you yeah. say your stories yeah. to, it matters. So, so that's a great transition into like, like determining when, what the right time was to write your memoir, because the memoir looks different, is written from a different voice as your story develops. So how did you know now? Well, two years ago, or the book came out two years ago, so I'm assuming three or four years ago was when you started writing it. So how did you determine that then was the time? Well, I, um, like I said, I was in with that counselor for five years when, and that was 1995 to 2000. And then I've been involved in healing uh, things, different ways of, you know, experiencing growth and healing mm-hmm. um, since then. And then, and then I began seeing another counselor after mm-hmm. some events happened in my life that um, where I knew yeah. I need to talk to a professional about these things that are happening. And so I had been seeing another counselor in a little over a year and I went to a writer's retreat. I knew for decades that I needed to tell my story mm-hmm. and I had began sharing publicly at women's events um, in 2007. 
And every time I would share, people would say, do you have a book? And I would joke and say, yeah, one day in all my spare time, you know, (laughs) well, from 2007 to I went to a writer's retreat in 2014 and, um, and it was in January of 2014 when I said, I'm going to write this book. So I went to my counselor that I'd been seeing for a little over a year at that time and said, okay, I am going to write the book now. And she said, okay, well, um, because, um, because, you know, what we've been talking about and you're, if, you, if you're, if you're going to go start writing this book now, my job is going to change. And mm-hmm. so from now on, when, when, when we're seeing, when I'm seeing you, my job is going to be to make sure that you're not re-traumatized mm. in the telling of your story. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so I was under the care of a professional counselor the whole time I was writing. Yeah. And, and that was just me taking care of my own emotional, spiritual, mental health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To be under the care of a professional counselor while I was telling this really difficult story. And I think that goes back to something you said earlier that I just wanted to acknowledge. Like, I think that um, for a lot of us who have been through, who have felt victimized or traumatized, um, we kind of want God to just fix it. Like, we don't always (laughs) want to participate in our healing, right? Like, we're kind of like, I mean, I know I felt this way a lot. Like, well, you could just fix it. Like, why do I have to do stuff? But I've come to learn over time that there is such dignity in participating in your healing. And Uh it just, it's just sort of like a, it it reminds you of your, it's your free will and it's beautiful. And it's actually a gift that we get to participate in healing. And I just want to like make that distinction because I think sometimes we're like, God, you let this happen. And now I have to also work to fix something I didn't even do to myself. Like what the heck? But I think there's just such beautiful dignity in in him allowing, it's like we are allowed to participate and he gives us little dominion over Uh these little dominions that we can do. And I just wanted to acknowledge that because I think that's such a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I had a part and God has a part. Mm. So good. Um, Are you, are your parents living? Have you had any? My father passed away. Okay. Um, My father uh, passed away in prison. Because okay. the authorities finally did catch up with him. Okay. <laughs> and um, so he passed away in jail. Um, my mom is still alive. She's uh, 87 years old, I believe. And um, if you uh, read through my whole book, but um, I talk in the epilogue about uh-huh. me um, going and reading her the manuscript. Oh, um, wow. And, and what that did for us hmm. and for me. And so... Don't go read the epilogue. If you buy the book, don't read the epilogue first. <laughs> you have to read it in the order. Yes. There's a reason why it's at the end and why it's the epilogue. Yeah. And so I, I did get to read her the manuscript. And that was really important to me. Um, she's still part of a polygamist uh, cult right now. Okay. Um, but in this one, they don't kill you if you leave. Um, That's and they allow contact with outsiders. <laughs> they allow contact with outsiders. Okay. Okay. And I'm an outsider. And yeah. so, so for that, I'm grateful Yeah, that I was able to go and read the manuscript to her because, you know, as children, even it, children in a regular home, um, bad things happen and we don't always talk about these things to our parents. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And that I, there's some unspoken rule, uh, that gets conveyed overtly or covertly, um, that don't say and don't talk and yeah. don't, you know, um, don't tell. And yeah. so my mom wasn't aware of a lot of things that happened to me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one, because of the way our family was situated, um, she was gone a lot. Yeah. And my dad was not there for, for sure, so I couldn't even talk to him about it. And so I wanted to make sure that she didn't read these things for the first time when Amazon delivered my book to her doorstep. Yes, that's you know? wise. Yeah, that's a, these, are, these are really good nuggets um, for me, but other people that are listening, I'm sure, because as someone who's attempting to write a book, um, the work, you know, I mean, all writers can attest to this, but like there's a bleeding out of yourself that takes place, whether you're writing a book about being in a polygamous cult or if you're writing about any aspect of your life, like just the reminder that I need to take care of myself. As uh-huh. I do that. And then also the reminder of like um, how this could be an opportunity to um, redeem some parts of my life and go uh-huh. have conversations with people that I need to have conversations with, especially before a book comes out. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, oh, for sure. Um, you know, just the, ju- there's just so much wisdom in that. Um, and just remembering um, the steps of how to handle that is, is super helpful. So, yeah. Yeah, this has all been really good. Yeah. Really good. Um, I think you speak so eloquently about this, and I'm just grateful. I mean, you're such a wise, calm woman, and I can't think of any greater testament to God than that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. After everything I've been through, um, that I have any kind of um, anything to offer the world um, yes. is is a testament to his kindness, mm-hmm. his gentleness, his goodness to me. Yeah. So uh, we will make sure that we obviously have a link to the book, but also have a link to all of your social media and everything so people can find you and hear okay. hear from you. Um, I know that you probably can't talk about it very much, but you said you're in the middle of a book. Can you share anything about your new book or like what direction <laughs> are you going with your ministry, I guess? Because I'm assuming you don't want your ministry just to be about the polygamous daughter. So I'm assuming you Correct. have a trajectory. Yeah. Well, um, what, what I do now um, is... I am a certified life coach. Okay. And I'm also getting some a certification in think differently coaching, which okay. is from uh, I'm getting this certification f- through the my mentor, my spiritual mentor who walked my freedom journey with me um, a long ways. Um, it's a man named Bob Hamp. You can go to bobhamp.com and and read about all his stuff. Um, I went to a class at our church that he was teaching. He's a marriage and family therapist, but he was on staff at our church. He was teaching a class called Levels of Change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had things about my life that I wanted to change. So I was like, oh, I'll go to this class where he talks about change. And it it became the, uh, what I call my Jacob's Ladder moment, Mm -hmm. because in that Levels of Change class, he talked about how the, um, the lowest level of change is changing your environment. You know, me running away from home didn't really solve my problems. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I changed my environment, but it didn't really help anything until, mm-hmm. you know, but changing our identity mm. and um, knowing who we are in Christ was the highest level of change. And so when I walked out of that class, I had basically what I call my Jacob's Ladder moment where I knew as I'm a grown adult with a full-time job and five kids and living a life. And I knew if I was honest with myself that I did not have my identity firmly grounded and rooted in who I am in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I was honest about that. Mm -hmm. And 
I basically put that stake in the ground and said, I will not let go until you bless me. Mm. And I pursued that for years. And I talk about this in the book um, that's already written. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the last few chapters where I talk about the healing journey and I describe this Jacob's Ladder moment in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, But because my healing journey uh, began in 1995 and continues to this day, Mm -hmm. um, trauma doesn't just kind of go away. You know, post-traumatic stress is is real. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so the healing journey for me has been a long one. And I just give a brief overview of that journey in the first book. Okay. And so the second book, which I said all that to answer your question. (laughs) I know. I I understood the direction you were going. Yes. Yeah. The second book is going to be a deep dive. Okay into the journey that I've been on. Okay. Because, you know, in a memoir, you know, you're using story. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sharing what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of giving you a behind the eyes, you know, like what I saw you see, what I thought you think, and what I'm feeling you're feeling yeah. um, view of things. But I think that for a lot of people that have experienced trauma, abuse, and neglect, um, being able to connect to the Father heart of God in a real experiential way that that is a balm to the soul mm-hmm. um, is something that's really lacking. Uh-huh. And so almost everywhere I go when I talk about that this is what I'm writing about, I get this reaction from people. It's like, Oh, I can't wait to read that. That's how I you know? feel. <laughs> I'm like, can you come back on and tell us what yeah. comes out? <laughs> just because, you know, we're, we're taught and, you know, there's so much about our Christian life that's just check off the box, check off the box, mm-hmm. check yeah. off the box. Mm-hmm. Get up, have your quiet time, read your Bible and pray, go to church and volunteer. And, and none of those activities, if they're not done from a place of... Um, connection to the father heart of God mm-hmm. it's just checking off a box yeah and it will leave you feeling more and more and more disconnected yeah. from the spiritual aspect of your Christian life yeah and so for me um, an awareness of God's presence is part of that 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 I and I'm just going to share this with your listeners because some people might be going, I need that book right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the key pieces that I'm going to be talking about in that book is, is learning to develop an awareness of God's presence. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, Knowing his nearness and, um, and, and having an emotional Mm. uh, connection to his heart in the present moment. Like right now, as I'm speaking to you, I'm experiencing that connection. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's creating emotion within me yeah. right now. And an awareness of that presence isn't some mystical, magical thing. Mm-hmm. It's being able to say, um, you're right here with me. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, the Bible says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. And so we're, he- we're sitting here, we're three, there's three of us. Yeah. Um, we're gathered and he's right here. Mm-hmm. His presence is palpable to me. Mm-hmm. But he also says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so if, even if you're sitting, listening and you're alone, mm-hmm. um, he says, I will never leave you. Mm-hmm. And, and so the other thing that, you, will help people understand this idea is there's a verse that says um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and Jesus is the one who says it and that word at hand translated from the Greek into English we use at hand but the original Greek word means it's in the atmosphere around us it's so close we could touch it mm-hmm. and that's why the word hand is used It's so Mm -hmm. close we could touch it. And so wherever you are, um, our spiritual eyes see spiritual things and our physical eyes see physical things. I'm looking around right now and I'm here in my little office and I see the windows and the desk, but my spiritual eyes um, see God's presence. Mm -hmm. My senses, I'm experiencing his presence. And the only thing that's needed for that to happen is to acknowledge his presence. Mm -hmm. When you open and ask for your spiritual eyes to be open so that you can see him. Like we say, we sing it. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Mm -hmm. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Mm -hmm. Like when we pray that and we ask, those are the prayers he wants to answer. And, and anyone can say, will you open my eye, the eyes of my heart and allow me to see you and allow me to experience your presence? And can you imagine how different your quiet time would be if you woke up in the morning and before you even opened your eyes, when you became aware, consciously aware that you're awake, mm-hmm. if you laid in that bed and said, you are right here with me. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I'm going to face today that you're not going to face with me. There's nothing I'm going through that you're not going to go through with me. Yeah, yeah. And then you wake up and open your eyes and brew your pot of coffee and sit down with your Bible. Yeah. Imagine how different reading your Bible would be if you sat down and you opened up the word, mm-hmm. already experiencing his presence yeah. and his peace and his power. Yes. And then you read the word. And then you prayed and, and brought your needs to him. And I think like, knowing he was with you. Yeah. Yeah. And for our listener who's like, that sounds amazing. I want that, but that doesn't make sense to me. Something just came to my mind, but you know that thing where you buy a car? And then everywhere you drive, you notice it Mm -hmm. and you never noticed that car before. Mm -hmm. That is to me what it feels like when the presence of God is there. It's like, oh, 
a lot of people drive Honda Accords or whatever. Yeah. I just never saw them before. But now that I'm aware of it and yeah. I see it, then I'm able to see it everywhere else. It's kind of like right. everyone's experienced that, whether you bought a shirt or a pair of shoes or anything that other yeah. people own. And you're like, huh. And to me, just for the person who's listening, who's like, that sounds great. But what is that? You know, that's what it feels like yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's nothing magical about this. I don't have some right. super spiritual, you know, connection that nobody else has and I'm not that super special I'm just not yeah Um, I'm ordinary in every way you can imagine Mm -hmm. um and it just takes um like there's a book called practicing the presence of God yeah Mm -hmm. okay so it's not that it's so out of reach for anyone anyone can actually do this yeah and anyone can lay in their bed and and in their heart, like if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit resides in you. And you can experientially talk to God and talk to the Holy Spirit, ask for help. Like, can you imagine a young child coming to a parent and saying, hey, mommy, would you help me? And, you know, I've been a mom. I raised five kids. They're all grown up. And on my best parenting day, so I've had bad ones. I'm just going <laughs> to say it. But on my best parenting day, when my children come to me and ask for help, that is um, the way I've um, parented my children on my best parenting day informs me about the father heart of God towards me and the mm-hmm. way God parents me more than any kind of scripture verse. Yeah. Um, my best parenting day informs me about the ways God cares for me. Yeah. And when I went to him and said, I, I need to know who I am in Christ. And I had my Jacob's ladder moment where I was like, I will not let go until you bless me. Um, it wasn't immediate. It took me several years of pressing in and saying like, what does it actually feel like, look like, talk like, act like? What, how in the world can you know who you are in Christ? Now, like growing up, I didn't know I was anyone's daughter. Mm-hmm. I knew I had a father, but I didn't know I was a daughter because I wasn't treated like one. Now I know I am his daughter forever. That is like so beautiful. That but it wasn't magical. Mm-hmm. It, I had a part. Mm-hmm. And your listeners, no matter where they're at on their spiritual journey, they can lay in their bed in the morning and go, huh, he's right here with me. Mm-hmm. God, would you open my eyes to this spiritual reality and help me see? Yeah. Yep. And those are the kinds of prayers God loves to answer and answers faithfully. Mm-hmm. That is so good. Um, thank you so much for sharing all that. And we're really excited about yeah. both books, but that second book sounds like it's really going to be very healing for a lot of people. Um, and we just so appreciate your willingness to speak so openly and share and let us into your story and just your love for God is palpable. So Um, Thank you so much for sharing with us today, Anna. Thank you, Anna. It's my pleasure.